Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. A beautiful day. We get to gather together, and we get to have a little worship, and we get to come together and hear the Word of God. I think about how amazing God is every morning when I wake up, and how much He loves us, and how much He's done for us. And I think God, I think often, I need to serve you today. And so today's message, we're going to title it, Hope and Service. It's going to be the title of our message today. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4. And we're going to be in verses 13 through 22. And you could turn there, but let's pray first. Let's open up the message and prepare our hearts to receive the word of God. Jesus spoke a parable uh, about the sower and the seed. And the sower is the person that's preaching the word of God. And the seed is the word of God. And he gave this parable. And the heart, that the soil that it landed on was our hearts. So I'm going to pray that God will give us good hearts today to hear his word and to receive the seed. So if you join with me. In a prayer, we thank you, Lord God, for bringing us together. And we thank you for your word. That's why we're gathered together, Lord. We thank you for our love for you and, and your word is why we're here, Jesus. So thank you for just giving us hope, the hope that only you can offer. And I pray, Lord God, that you would prepare our hearts to receive your word today. As I just said, Lord, the parable of the sower and the seed, our hearts are like the ground. I pray that you would soften each one of our hearts that the seed that I preach today would go on good soil, a soil that would bear 30 and 60 and 100-fold good fruit, only for your kingdom, Lord God, not for ourselves, not for the betterment of us, but for your kingdom. And that people would come to know you and grow closer with you. I love you and praise you. And Lord, this is all, of course, this whole service, and our gathering, anyone that's going to listen will all be because of Jesus. I pray we focus on you today, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, speak to us. God, it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. So we open up to Matthew chapter 4, <clears throat> verses 13 through 22. And actually, before we read verse 13, you might be saying, but I thought, I thought we already studied verse 13 last week. Well, we did. But <clears throat> we're going to look at some cool things today. So read it with me. Matthew 4, 13 through 22 or for 13 through 16 at first, and then we'll jump ahead next. So we got first 13, and it says, And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, beyond, or by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. 
So we open up to an aspect. We open up to the same prophecy that we looked at last week, but we open up to a different aspect of the section of Scripture that we studied last week. The aspect that we're studying this week has a different angle. And we already know that the Word of God by the Holy Spirit, there's a lot of angles of the Word of God. There's we, You read the same chapter of the Bible and come up with five different angles as the years go on that you've read them. I've, I've been reading the Bible for 13 years, and I've already admitted to you, as you've been listening, as we've been sitting here, that God has been showing me new things and teaching than He did when I just read. So, the Lord showed me as I was setting up for the service that I needed to teach this prophecy from its second angle. First angle was last week. This week now, we're going to study about this prophecy and what it means for our lives in that respect. Last week, we had the intellectual plea from God in Christ to follow him, proof-wise. Uh, for the mind. And God wants us to have that proof. Uh, that proof is so that Christianity is not a blind faith. I mean, everybody, millions of people across the world worship God in their own way according to man's ways, but it's not the correct way because it's not through Christ. They're man-made ways. They're man-made religions. So God, we talk about the proof gave us proof that the Bible was real by prophecy and archaeology and history, that the Bible is, is true in those ways so that we wouldn't have a blind faith. God didn't say, come and know me and put your brain in a box and believe in me just because I said. Remember, God said, seek and you shall find. Well, God is a loving God and a loving God is not going to have somebody seek something that's false or he's not going to say seek and then there's nothing to seek. There's nothing to find. So we talked about that last week, about how awesome that was. And that's God's plea. Hey, follow Christ because there's proof that Christ is and was and that what he said and what he did is true. And he was a real man and the Bible is you could prove it and all that stuff. And that's great. But this week we have a follow Christ from God's heart. And that is... Because of hope. They're both important. One is an intellectual belief that we must have. And one is from the heart. And hope is in God's word. And it's part of his promises. It's hope. So we're going to look at the... That's why we actually titled our first section of this word, our teaching today, Hope. And we're going to look a little bit about this prophecy. We, first to know about the prophecy is it was a prophecy out of the, the prophet Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 2. Don't turn there. It's, not, that's, it's, it's important, but we're not going to get caught up in going back to the Old Testament. We're just going to know, just know that it was a prophecy out of Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 2. And interestingly enough, the whole first seven verses of that chapter in Isaiah were about the Christ coming. And it gave some details about Christ and, and about his coming. The first, all seven verses of that chapter of Isaiah were about hope. Christ is hope. 
In fact, the only real hope in this world comes through and by Jesus Christ. It is important that Jesus fulfilled these prophecies. Hundreds of prophecies in the Bible. That proof that, we again, we talked about last week. But just as important as the prophecy being true is God wanted to show people in the prophecy and Christ came and fulfilled it. What did he come to fulfill it for? He came to fulfill this prophecy to give us hope. So read the prophecy again, then we'll break it down. Go to verse 15. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region of the in the shadow of death, light has dawned. Wow, is all I could say. If you read what that said, remember we talked about last week, people are born blind, we're born lost, we're born in sin, we're in darkness. <laughs> what did we read here? Both people that sat in darkness and those who were in the region of the shadow of death. Both a great light has been shown. So what was that great light that we talked about? Hope. Jesus came, did amazing things. He offered hope. He showed hope to those that saw him. The multitudes that saw him saw his hope. He came and did miracles. He came and did healings. He came and taught love. Love your neighbor. Love God as yourself. Forgiveness of sins. God taught on hope. In fact, it's real easy to lose hope. Isn't it? Really easy. In Matthew 11, we read about John the Baptist. This was an account of when he was in prison. And he was losing hope because of his circumstances that he was in. He was in a terrible situation. He was in a terrible... He, was been, he had been put in prison for righteousness. And who wants to be put in prison for righteousness? You don't even expect to be put in prison for righteousness. You expect to be put in prison and put in jail because you steal a car or because you murder somebody or because you rob a bank. But you don't expect to be put in prison because for righteousness sake. But John was put in prison for righteousness sake. So he gets his disciples together because he's losing hope and he sends his disciples and he says, go find out if Jesus is the coming one, is the one to come, or if we should wait for another. Because unfortunately, like us today, almost 2,000 years later, we can lose hope by what we see when it's not the things that are, everything looks good. Like we've talked before in previous weeks about how it's easy to have hope. It's easy to trust in God when the fridge is full of food and the car's running great and our rent's paid and everything. But when everything starts to wane, when the car breaks down or we lose our job or we don't have enough food or we don't have enough money to pay the bills, what happens? What's the first thing? We start to lose hope. We start to lose trust in God that, 
Oh my gosh, where, where am I, how am I going to eat? Where's my rent going to come from? And so this prophecy, the angle that God told me was important this week, that we're looking at, is prophecy of hope to people. So what did Jesus tell John's disciples when they came? Well, Jesus saw that they were there and still kept doing his thing. And so after he was done healing a bunch of people and doing a bunch of miracles and whoever else, what else he did, he tells his disciples, go tell John what you've seen. Go tell John what you've seen. The lame walk. The blind see. The deaf hear. Go tell him so that you can encourage him so that he can have hope that I'm the one. His disciples saw supernatural things, amazing things, awesome things. That even though John couldn't see him himself, even though he had seen him, now he was in despair. So he needed a refresher, an encouragement. Go tell him what you saw. So, today, we're about 2,000, less than about 2,000 years after Christ died, Christ lived. What kind of hope do we have from Christ for us today? Well, I personally have seen tremendous miracles since I've been following Christ. Healings, miracles of finances, miracles of help when there was no help. When I was in despair and I cried out for help in God to help me with a certain situation, God gave it to me. Hope, all kinds of hope. Prayer, God's answers to prayer, God given me hope. But also, what else do we see through Scripture and we still have today because they're promises that God gave? There's forgiveness of sins together with a personal relationship with your Creator, along with eternal life later when we die. That's hope. We have hope in Christ that He will deliver us from sin. When we're struggling with some sin that we don't want to commit, and we know we don't want to commit it, and yet we continue to fall into it, God, we can cry out to Christ and say, God, please help me. From this sin that I'm, I can't get out of, please help me, deliver me from it. He delivers those that seek to be delivered from sinful things. He delivers us from sinful things. He delivers us from problems of any kind. When you seek God for direction in life, He speaks to you. Here's your direction. Here's what I want you to go do. He gives those that follow Him joy and peace in their lives. Gives you joy and peace. He gives you the strength to make it through each day, even though you don't know where that strength is going to come from. And you cry, I cry out in prayer every day, God, give me the strength to help me get through this day. Give me the strength to go another day and serve you, because this flesh doesn't want to and I'm weak. Please give me the strength to get through this day no matter how hard it is. And He gives me that strength to go through every day. He gives me companionship. He's my soul companion. 
He is the one that I can talk to any moment of every day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He never stops. He's always there. You can ask him, talk to him anytime you want. He's always there and he comforts you through everything. And it can go on and on and on and on and on and on. There's so much more hope that God can give and does give to people. God, Jesus, offers himself as a refuge. The Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And the Bible doesn't say just saved from sins, just saved from this, just saved from that. God says, I offer you salvation through no matter whatever it is you're struggling with, no matter whatever it is you're going through, call on my name and you shall be saved from whatever you're going through. Hallelujah. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Jesus is hope. Our part is turn to him and trust in him and receive it and trust in those promises that he's given us. Trust in him. Can I get an amen? Amen. 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 Come on, amen. Thank you, Jesus. Now. Amen, but... Amen. So now, people today, unfortunately, are mixed up in this one aspect of the Christian faith. People today believe that all this hope and all these promises are for everybody and anybody, no matter what. Now, what do I mean by that? You may be saying, wait a minute, Ed, I thought hope and, and salvation was for everybody in Christ and everybody can... You are right, it is for everybody, but it's not for those who don't live for Christ. It's not for those who don't believe in the one and only Son of God and follow Him. You can't live for yourself and follow the ways, your ways that you want and do the things that you want to do and live any way you want and say, oh, I'm just going to pray and God's going to bless me. Oh, I've got such hope in Christ and I hear it all the time. Drug dealers, prostitutes. Oh, I hope in God. Oh, I trust in Jesus. But you live in sin. You can't lie to everybody every day and live in sinful ways and practice sinful ways and expect to trust in God and He's going to He's going to help you. He's going to save you because just because you trust in Him. Because the Bible says it's not just trust. It's faith without works is dead. It's trust and obey. And there's no other way. Now, if someone does put their trust in the one true living God and live for His only begotten Son, they do receive those promises. They can receive that hope. But if you don't, they're not yours. Those promises are only granted to those who turn to Christ and start trusting in Him and following Him. Now the moment that someone does take that step, 
and puts their hope and their trust in Christ and turns to Him with their whole life, all of everything that God offers is theirs. The hope, the companionship, the love, it's all there. It's like a, it's like a gift. If somebody has a $100 bill standing before you and they have it out in their hand, and they've got it, hold it out to you. And they say, here, just take this $100. I want to bless you. Take this $100. Here's a gift for you. But you don't ever take it. That $100 is not yours. You don't receive it. And God says, I have a way that you are supposed to receive this gift. And here's the way. And there's no doubt in my mind, and we have here right in Scripture, verse 17. And I left that one out until now for just this reason, just now. Because this is where it fits. Notice here came the hope, the proof, 15:16. Here came the hope, the love of God is shown to man so that man would believe this great love, this, believe this great hope. Now that hope is there. Now it's out there. God has shown it. God has done his part. Look what Jesus says in verse 17. Read it with me. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Remember that same message from John. Jesus preaching that same message. So God showed me a real neat way to look at repentance this week. And he gave me a real neat way to kind of clarify it so that we could we could really get a grasp on what really what is repentance. So we can get a really we can wrap our minds around it. Because it's very important. And without it, I say this again, I'm going to say it a little bit different. Without that repentance, God can't save you. Without that repentance, God cannot save you. God looks at your life when you're born like this. You are the captain of your own ship. You're the ruler of your own life. And that's how God sees us. We are the boss of our own lives. And that's how God looks at us. Here's repentance. When we take that authority, being our own boss, the captain of our own ship, and the ruler of our own lives, and we decide to give it to Jesus Christ and let Him be the captain of our ships, and let Him steer us, let Him be our rudder, let him be the one that makes the calls of things that we do in our lives. And we make that decision to do that. That's repentance. It's when we surrender the lordship of our lives to Jesus and let him have control. That's repentance. Because... You may be asking, well, why doesn't God just save me? Why do I even have to take that step of repentance? Why is that repentance so important that it was preached throughout the whole New Testament? It's even preached in the Old Testament by Jesus, by John. Why? Because God loves you and love is not forceful. God is a gentleman. 
He will not take the control of your life away from you. He longs for you to make that decision on your own. He longs for you to see how much He loves you and what He did for you and the hope that He gave us here in Matthew by this prophecy, by what Christ came to do, to see that love and say, I got to have that God. I got to come to know that God. I need Him. I need that hope. I need that love i.e. marriage. In marriage, it's when one wife, one woman, one man say, I want to be with that other person. Now what if man's interested in a wife and they're dating for a little bit and he doesn't know if he loves her yet, but all of a sudden the dad comes up with a shotgun and sticks it in his back. He says, no, you're going to marry my daughter. Well, that's not love. He may not be ready for that. He doesn't even know if he loves her. They're just dating. But if that guy comes up, he's going to force his, hit that guy to marry that daughter. But guess what? That's not real love. God will never stick a shotgun in your back and say, marry me now. Because I command it now. Do it now. I'm going to make you. You have to. Because that's not real love. And that's not how Christ wants you to choose him to take your life away. And upon contrary things that we hear in this world and a lot of things you may hear, even you've heard in different churches, it's not a one-time decision either. It's one that God wants you to make every moment of every day of your life. Because look at what, John, look at what Jesus says in Luke 9, 23. He says to them all, and even for us today, it, it applies then, it applies now. He says, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow after me. Even Jesus said that it was a daily choice. Remember what I said about repentance a while back? It's a little bit. I add something from the one that I said earlier. Repentance doesn't save you, but without it, God can't. But without it, no one gets saved. Repentance doesn't save you, but without it, no one gets saved. When you repent, you give God that okay to say, I'm going to come in and I'm going to take your life. Now I see your heart. Now I see that you want me. You took that step of repentance. You're surrendering to me. Now I'm not forcing that wheel away from you. Now I came and you gave me. Jesus, please here, take the wheel. I've messed my whole life up. I can't do it anymore. Here, take it. I want you to have it. I need you. That's real repentance. Whew. I love it. I love the Word of God. So what does that repentance do look with me Matthew 4 18 through 22 and let's read that now Jesus walking by the sea of Galilee saw two brothers Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen then he said to them follow me and I will make you fishers of men immediately 
they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. Now, just a side note from last week, as we already read. Interestingly enough, God, again, God's been showing me some awesome things as I study his word preparing for these. We read in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, 35-42, that Jesus actually already had some people that were already following, in, following him, including Andrew and Simon, Peter. They were already kind of already, they actually went to the wedding of Cana with him. They actually had seen the miracles at the wedding of Cana. So they were actually already kind of following him before Jesus gave them this call here in Matthew 18. Through 22, they actually were kind of already doing some stuff with him. But importantly, before they got their call here, Jesus called them, like, follow me here. The other ones were, it was uh, Peter, or I'm sorry, Andrew and uh, John, I believe, came. They were with John the Baptist, and they were sitting there as they walked, Jesus walked along, and, and they asked, who's that? And John then testifies, this is he whom I said, you know, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And they went and they followed him, and, they, and he looked back, and they were like, hey, he said, you know, what do you want? And they said, well, where are you going, Rabbi? And he said, well, just come on, follow me. You know, look where I'm going. But that wasn't a follow me like a, a follow me, follow me. So that's just an interesting side note to that, right before we get to the, 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 the meat of 18 through 22. Um, now they got their follow me. So, they had been watching Jesus do these awesome miracles. They had been watching him do these different things. They had been watching him heal these people and making the water into wine. And now he said, follow me. What was their response to what the Lord had been showing them? And his call, follow me. What was their response to the hope that they saw in Christ? What was their response? They dropped everything they were doing and followed Christ, even leaving their fathers behind. They were in the boats, mending their nets, fishing with their fathers. Fathers were very highly respected individuals, the most highly respected individuals of that day, way different than our society today. And so when they saw the hope that was in Christ, because they had been seeing everything that he did, his miraculous healings, all the things that he did, he said, follow me. Their response to that hope and that love that they saw was, they dropped everything. And look at what it says here again in verse 22. And immediately they left the boat and their father, the scripture is very careful to record that, and followed Jesus. Remember I said the name of our sermon today was Hope and Service? Now we get the service part. They saw the hope. The response to the hope was service. So Jesus spoke on that service a little bit. And actually he spoke in Matthew 10, 37. If you want to go there. Matthew 10, 37. 
And of course, this is upon what he did for us. And he says, look at the hope that I offer. But then he says, upon that hope and upon your service, upon what he wants now, Matthew 10, 37, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he, did, he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Yes, see that hope. Yes, see that love. Yes, see that God offers hope. And God is love. And God is everything. And we, wow, he loves us even when we didn't love him. But now our response, our service is to lay aside all love for everything else in this world and take up our crosses and, and follow him. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. Or you could say, he who decides to start hating this life and his life for me will find his life, meaning find eternal life. That's amazing. So again, we got Luke chapter 9, 57 through 62. If you want to turn there, Luke 9, 57 through 62. I'll give you a moment to turn there if you'd like. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. There were people that said this. Now, this is, Jesus is not lying here. He just gave a recount. Luke was giving a recording of everything that he saw. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the, nest, or birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So he's telling that guy, hey, it's going to cost you to follow me. Be careful. I know you want to follow me, but hey, be careful. I'm not exactly the richest guy. Yeah, I love you to follow me, but be careful. I, I got nowhere to go. You're going to lose your life. He said to another, follow me. Jesus said to another guy, follow me, just like he did to James and John and Andrew and Peter here. But this guy said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you. Somebody came to Jesus, oh, Lord, I'll follow you. Verse 61. But let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus said, Whoever loses his life will find it. All those things that you have to do, well, you have to wait on doing them until I tell you it's okay to go do them because if you want me because you see my hope and my love, drop everything, drop everything in your life. Serve me first. Love me first. I need to be above the love that you have for your husband. I need to be a love that you have. I need to be above the love that you have for your spouse, for your child, for your car, for your house. For everything, I need to be above the love that you have for everything. Love me first. Give me that wheel. So we see the service played out as these folks saw the hope in God that Jesus offered, and they followed him. 
And not only did they follow him, not only did he say, follow me, but he even gave them something to do. He gave them a glimpse of what they'd be doing for the kingdom of God. And the second half of that, follow me, going back to verse 19, then he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So we don't just get to come to Jesus and camp out and kick back and drink a Kool-Aid and watch a Christian movie. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So we see Paul writing in Ephesians 2, chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. You don't have to turn there. I've got it. I'll just read it for you. And Paul writes, It's for grace you have been saved through faith. So God saves people because they turn to Him and they start trusting in Him and following Him. And that not of yourselves, he says, but it is a gift of God. Not of works of righteousness is what he's saying verse 9. Not of works, least any man should boast. But here it is in verse 10, that I will make you fishers of men. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And folks, this wasn't for the people in Paul's day then. This is for us now. Nothing has changed. There's still two categories of people that exist and live in this world today. One category. Those who have decided to let Christ have the reins of their lives and allow Him to take control. And if that is you, then you have to hear what God says in Ephesians 2.10. You were created for good works that you should walk in them. And really, he's saying, you look like a, a biblical disciple. Somebody that serves God. What things do you do? What things, think about it now for yourself, what things do you do for Jesus? If you really are born again, if you really are saved, if you really did Give Christ the reins of your life. What things do you do for God? Because it's your duty to go to the Word of God and find out the things that God told you to do and do them. Remember marriage? A husband and a wife. A husband's duty is to go and find out the things that his wife loves and do those things which his wife loves. Remember, marriage, supper of the Lamb, God is our spiritual husband. If you're his, it's your duty to find out the things that God wants you to do and do them not to be saved, but out of a response of, I love you, I just want my life to be pleasing to you. To do the things that God would have you to do. And I encourage the Christians listening to this message, please go, and if you already know the things that God is telling you to do, go out and do them. Remember, it's not the hearer of the word that's blessed, it's the doer of the word that's blessed.
And then there's those who haven't let God have control of their lives. Or maybe you're not letting God have control of your life today. That means you need to take a step of repentance. And that means that they, or you're still in control of your own life. And you live the way you want to live. And you do the things that you want to do. And you don't let God have the reins of your life. You might have prayed a prayer one time, and then now you live for you. You live for the things of this world. You do the things of this world. Nobody can tell the difference between somebody uh, that's a, a disciple of Jesus and you, and you say, wait a minute, I don't understand. That. How come I prayed a prayer? Well, that that's not enough. Praying a prayer is not enough. Again, God wants you to give him the reins, the control of your life. Give you the give him the wheel. And if this is you, be like the disciples here today. Look at what God wants you to do. Look at what God did for you. Look at the hope that's there for you. Look at the hope that God offers if you come to Him. Look at eternal life that God has for you. Look at everything that God did for you. And just like the disciples here did. Just like I've done. Surrender and fall on your face and turn your life to Christ before it's too late and your heart ceases and you stop breathing and you die. Where the Bible promises that you'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And at that time, when you're standing there at the judgment seat of Christ, you'll have to tell God, you'll have to tell your Creator why you didn't have time for Him. Why you didn't have time to give your life to Him. Why you didn't have time to turn Him over the wheel. Why you didn't have time to listen to Him. And remember what I said a while ago and I say it, it's a new phrase that God has put in my mouth, put in my mouth, put in my life. So remember, if you don't want Him now and you don't got time for Him now, why are you going to want Him for all eternity except for a get out of hell free card? If you don't want Him now, if you're not spending time with Him now and you got no time for Him now, what makes you think He sees that as, oh, that person wants me? You're not going to want him now. You're not going to want him then. If that's the case again, look at what God did for you. How could you reject his power? How could you reject his love for your life? How could you reject his hope? Don't be deceived that hope is not promised to you as you're not born again, as you're not living for Christ, that hope is not for you. Bible says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? You can gain everything in this world. You can attain every worldly pleasure. You can attain every good thing in this life and be a billionaire, a trillionaire. You could be Bill Gates. What would it profit a man if he gained the whole world and loses his own soul? Jesus is awesome and he wants a beautiful relationship with you. You may be thinking, but if I come to God, 
I mean, I see his love, but but if I come to God, what's he going to have me to do? What if he tells me to do, do some crazy things for him? And what I, I cannot possible, I'm not capable of doing stuff like that. Don't worry about what God would have you to do or how he would have you to serve him. You surrender to him. Seek ye the kingdom of God and all his righteousnesses first and all these things will be added. Everything else that's needed, God will give you if you start to seek him. If you turn your life over to him, God will give you the strength and the power to do all things that he wants you to do and you'll even want to do them. Come to him now. If you hear this and the Spirit is wooing you and you're being convicted because you know you don't live for Christ and you know you're not his and you know your life doesn't line up with Christ, look at all the hope and look at all the joy and look at all the treasures that you can have. Look at the refuge that you can have from everything, from this life, from evil, from Satan, from hell, from everything and turn to him now, please. Turn to him now. Fall on your face. Cry out in your heart to God, save me. I don't want to be apart from you. I need you. I see how much you love me. I need you, Jesus. I need you. I need you. Please save me. And if you cry out to him right now, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Don't wait another moment. Don't wait another day. He loves you now. Come to him now. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. Thank you so much for your hope. Thank you so much for your love again. Thank you so much for eternal life and a relationship with you. Those that hear this message and are yours and aren't serving you like you want them to, Lord God, I pray that they would. And I pray that they would get busy for you. And they would seek you more and say, God, I need to do what you told me to do. Because your word says that I was created for the things that you have for me to do. And I pray that they would get up off their couches and stop sitting around and do something for you. Pray more, read your word more, get out on the, talk to somebody about you more, get on Facebook and tell people about you, whatever Lord, be a fisher of men, I pray that they would be a fisher of men. But God, for those that are listening to this message and that are not yours, and they're convicted in their hearts right now, knowing that they're not yours, I pray Holy Spirit, convict them some more, and I pray God that you would bring them to their knees. And they would see your love and what you did for them on the cross at Calvary. And they would turn their lives to you. And they would make that choice to give you the steering wheel of their lives. And let you be in control and not them. So that they can grab hold of the hope, of the love, of the eternal life, of everything that you have to offer. Bring them now, Lord. Bring them now, please, God, before it's too late. Bring them now and save their souls.
It's in your name we pray. Amen.